your Bibles and give it to your neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. Turn to Luke 15. While you're turning, have you ever preached or heard a sermon preached and it was like prevented? In other words, what he preached or you heard, it happened. Now, I've been pre- I preached two Sundays on worry. Did anybody have something hit you that you needed, that you thought you, oh, gosh, I'm going to worry about anybody? Well, evidently, I was just preaching to me. Because Monday, about 30 miles out, one hour down below New Orleans in the Gulf, our boat broke down. Now, I consider without a GPS, and it had quit, a novice. I can drive a boat, but I don't know where I'm at. And this was new water. So we're out there, and the motor won't start. We're stuck. We tied off to a buoy, and the man that I was with, he was really no better than I was. He kind of about what, where we're at. And I'm sitting here, okay, Lord, that gummit I just preached, don't worry. First hour went by, second hour went by, a guy and a bunch of his buddies come by and said, I can't start it, but we got to go, and left us. So now I'm being tempted. I'm starting to worry. I said, here I preached, and, and here I am worried. I didn't see where we were going to get in. But I remembered Philippians 4, verse 6 through 7. And I began to make my request. Don't be anxious. I was anxious. I won't lie to you. I was worried and sick. I didn't want to spend a night out there, all them alligators. And I said, Lord, I'm going to tell the people that I preached that to that I was tempted and I'm failing right now, Lord. So I'm making my request known unto you. I don't know who you got coming to going to deliver us. But Sito won't come. The marina won't come. And we're stuck. We ain't going nowhere. And then all of a sudden, I said, Lord, prove to me that that's true. In less than 10 minutes, I see this boat coming down out of the rising Tied to a boat to it. It was four or five Cajuns on there. So he comes by us and he says, Leave no man behind. <laughs> okay, what's that mean? And then he comes over, throws a rope, slings us up beside him, and here we go. I said, Well, doggone, Jesus, this is true. He says, Let's see what's wrong with your boat, man. So they jump off and take the top of it off. In less than eight minutes, it's running. So they were going too slow for me. So I saw this older couple, and they were at least doing 30 miles an hour. I says, thank you, man. He said, of course, the guy did have to say, what can we do to pay you back? He said, you got a beer, man? (laughs) I said, if he says we got a beer, that's why we broke down. (laughs) No, man. We don't drink. That's okay. Have a good day. Whew. I got to that deck and that shore, 
And I said, thank you, Jesus. That's a lonely feeling when you're that far and you don't know where you're at on a boat that wouldn't run. Anyway, I don't know why I'm supposed to tell you that. But if you're in a situation you're worrying about and the answer did not come, keep praying. Amen? Keep giving your request known unto God. Turn to Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus said, and I'll take his advice over anybody else, won't you? Jesus told the story about a man who had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want you to give me all you got. Give me my state right now instead of waiting until I die. Now, look, I know this is Father's Day. And I know fathers mean you got kids. But there's also men here that don't have a wife. They don't have kids. And you're here at church. Well, that means in the future, you're going to be a father, hopefully. There's guys here that are not even married. They don't even have a wife. But that doesn't mean that one day that God's not going to bless you. But you see, I understand being a man that we can be a little bit difficult at times. I'll admit that. I'll admit as far as to say, sometimes we men don't always know what to say. Now, some of you know exactly what to say all the time, but you don't really mean what you're saying. You say, Mike, what you talk about? Well, when a man says that it would take a, too long to explain, you ever heard him say that? What he really means is he don't have any idea how this thing works. When a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard. What he's thinking is, I can't hear the game over your vacuum cleaner running. When a man says, that's interesting, dear. What he's really saying is, are you still talking? When a man says, this is a guy thing. What he's saying is there is no rational thought pattern connected with this and you have no chance at all to understand or make logic about what we're talking about. When a man says, can I help you with dinner? What he's really saying, you ain't really got this ready yet. When a man says, "Uh uh-huh, sure, honey, yes, dear. What he's really saying is this absolutely means nothing and it's a conditioned response. When a man says, you know how bad my memory is, when he can remember the theme song of Hogan's Heroes, he can remember the, the VIN number on his boat, but he just forgot your birthday and what date it was. When a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself, it's no big deal. What he really means is I probably severed my limb, but I'll bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt. So get over it and get over here and help me. When a man says, I can't find it, what he means is it didn't fall in his outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless where it's at. When a man says, I heard you, what he means is I haven't got the foggiest clue what you just said. And I'm hoping desperately that I can fake it well enough so you don't spend the next three days fussing at me. When a man says, you look terrific, 
What he really means is, please don't try on one more outfit. I'm hungry, it's late, and I'm starving to death. When a man says, I'm I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are. What he means is, no one ever will ever see us alive again. You see, when it comes to you and I, a man will say, that's not what I meant. What he means is, if something I said can be interpreted two ways, if one of those ways makes you sad or angry, I meant the other. You see, sometimes we're even complicated to ourselves. Sometimes we just must admit we don't have a clue. But today, I don't want to preach on clueless men I want to share with you from the perspective of what Jesus taught of what a real dad, a super dad looks like under certain circumstances. Now, listen, when I preached last Sunday on worry, I looked pretty good. I looked confident, or at least I felt like I did. I I felt like I did. Hey, Jesus did a do okay. Yeah, you did all right. But let me work and you don't worry about all that other stuff. But now when I was about 30 miles out and the boat broke down, I was looking different to myself. I was thinking different in my head. And and I'm telling you what, it got scary to me. And I became anxious. You see, until we're under fire, we don't know what we'll do. You know that? We don't really know how we operate, but we normally discover it when we are put to the test. So Jesus brings up a father that got put to the test. And uh, so the first idea before I share with you a couple of things is that Jesus showed us how a real father looks like when dealing with a rebellious son. Now look, I love my two boys to death. And I believe that my two boys love me. But I, I, if they were rebellious, I didn't see a whole lot of it. God bless me there. I, I just don't feel like that, yeah, they, they probably didn't do it all right, but I didn't see this. Ma- but if you've gone through rebellion like this father did with this son, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and your heart oftentimes as a dad is broken because your son is not going the way you want him to go or he's not doing what you want him to do. Look, fathers of every generation are going to struggle to find, find balance in their lives between their work advancement and their family enhancement, between their employment and their enjoyment, between their vocation and their vacation, between task of pursuits and family presence. You see, fathers can either take the view that, you know what, life's a big party. And man, I'm just going to party my way all the way through. I'm just going to have the biggest time and your kids go to hell. Because you're not setting forth the example. And it will come back to haunt you, I promise. But then there are the dads that they're the dads on the other side, the far left, who pursue a career and a job. And what's happened is you've become a workaholic. And your kids don't know you anymore than you are willing to place foundation within them. They don't raise themselves. It takes, and let me tell you something. 
nanas and papas and grandpas and, and, and whatever you call them, grandmas or whatever, nanas. It is not our job to raise your kids. We've done that. We've got trophies of scars and all that stuff to go with it. Now, I don't think we should let them be rebellious or do something that they'd get themselves hurt. But, man, I, my, Joe's right when he says, Daddy, you let, you let my grandkids do something. You beat the living tar out of us. You wouldn't even let us look that way. You wouldn't let us even think that way. I know. I got one little one that I think she thinks my name is Dollar. You say, well, why do you ask that? Because every time she says, you got a dollar. And I always carry a dollar for her. I'd borrow one from you if I didn't have one so she could get it. I didn't do that with my boys. Now, if I'm doing wrong, I just don't want my kids to be like my grandmother was. My grandmother says, "Uh, if you will do this, I'll give you more than a dollar. She caught my attention. As a matter of fact, she bought my love. Now, I loved her. But it sure was nice to get that money go along with it. And I learned that young. So I know there's a danger there. But guys, if you're a workaholic, you need to learn, just like you expect of your wives, a balanced life. You only have your kids one time. And when they're gone, it's over. It's over. Look, I look at my sons now, and I cannot look. I, for the life of me, Joe or Josh, I cannot see them the way they were as kids anymore. I can't. I, I'm sorry. I may act like I do, but I just can't do it anymore. I can't see them like that. Even though I know they're my sons, they're my blood, I just don't see them the same way. I see them as men. I see them as my grandbabies. I see them serving with me and working for Jesus and and I just it's just different God's word when it comes to the Bible and we'll always find out that it's a struggle as far as finding a balanced life God's word encourages us to use sound judgment and discernment to practice keeping our life decisions our life attitudes our life actions in balance we got to maintain balance in our lives. But you know, sometimes we say the dumbest things, don't we? I mean, we really do as dads. And I, I have to say, I'm, I'm probably one of the, the people. My kids probably laugh at me behind my back. When I say no, I mean no. Really. That's deep theology. I'll tell you why, because that's why. That'd drive me crazy if I was a young kid hearing that kind of stuff. I'm your father, and that's just the way it's going to be. I've really established the truth, didn't I? As long as you live in my house, you'll live by my rules. I heard that till I about blew a gasket with my dad. But I did it. If all your friends wanted to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, does that mean you're going to jump with them? As Josh said as a small kid, I sure would. If you want something to do, I'll give you something to do. How many times have you heard that? 
I know it's your game, but your uncle and I are playing with it right now. You go on. Leave us alone. A pet? Why do you want a pet? You got a sister. If you fall out of that tree and break your leg, don't you come running to me. That's real brains there now, ain't it? I brought you in this world. Huh? I'll take you out. (laughs) We say some of the strangest things. Super dads, real dads, you see, they do a lot of things. And they do a lot of things and they say a lot of things that are right. They're not wrong. And it's a good foundation. You know, people argue over whether when this father was dealing, number one, with a rebellious son. You see, you and I, if I were to go to my dad, if he were living, hey, dad, man, I want, I want what's entitled to me. I want what's good. I want what's coming to me. You know what he'd tell me? Bend over. <laughs> I'll give it to you. He didn't care what age I was. But it was a normal thing if a son wanted in his inheritance to get it. Now, some say, well, this dad was an enabler. No, he wasn't. No. He knew his son, and he knew what time he spent with his son. He knew the foundation that he had implanted in that son in the Word of God. He knew what he had taught him. And you know what he did? He gave him the privilege to go. And be released. Listen to me, moms and dads. If you're, not, if you're holding on to your kids and you don't release them, you're not doing right. You did, God didn't give you kids to grow them up, to strangle them, to keep them in close, and not let them grow up and go away. Now, they may not go far. Mine's next door. That's okay. That's fine. But I don't get in their business. My daddy taught me well. Don't go meddling in their business. Let them live their life. If they want you to get involved in the business, they'll come to you. And that's the way it ought to be. So if you're a meddler, you're a manipulator, God spank you. Because your child needs to grow up apart from you. And let them make their mistakes. I made mine, then I learned from them. If you spend time as dads and moms investing in these kids, they're going to make mistakes. But if you don't let them go, you make a major mistake. Because if you die, guess what happens? They won't make it. So don't think so selfishly just of yourself. But this son, he left because... He was a bit rebellious. The Bible says that he went away and he lived a wild life. Now, I'm not going to describe what a wild life is. If you don't know what that is, ask your mama. Ask your daddy. But the Bible says he wasted everything that he had and he ended up, because of his rebellion and his and his. Running, he ended up feeding a Gentile's pigs, 
which that's bad for a Jew. And it got so bad, there was a famine in the land, the Bible says, that he had to eat the slaw that he fed the pigs. And then verse 17 of that same verse says, he came to his senses. Can I define that for you? If you don't put anything in that child, they'll be senseless. You hear me? It's our job to make sure they get the truth. It's not our job to make sure they believe it. It's our job to make sure they get it. Softball won't give it to them. Wrestling won't give it to them. The World Rec League won't give it to them. You can go do all those things, and I'm not saying those are bad things. They're just not going to give your child when it comes to when they're rebelling to have the sense to turn to something. And you know what he turned to? What his dad taught him. What his dad gave him as a foundation. You see, it's important that... When real dads, super dads are dealing with a rebellious son, we have to know what to do. But then there's a second thing, and that is when dealing with a resentful son, the son that stays home, (laughs) the son that never did, supposedly never did anything wrong. My grandmother said, Mikey, don't do nothing wrong. She just didn't catch me. And, and my brothers and sisters used to, when we get together at Christmas time, what Mikey wants, Mikey gets. That must make me so mad. My grandmother was named Lola, L-O-L-A. She let it be known. When Mikey gets home from Bible college, we can have Christmas. You don't think that didn't put a heavy burden between me and my brothers and sisters? They used to say, well, when Mikey gets here, we can have Christmas. I walked into all that animosity. They unloaded on me one Christmas. It just so happens it was a good Christmas because I could take it. I mean, they let me have it. You got to go to Gatlinburg. You got to go to Pigeon Forge. She wouldn't take us. She left us at home because they said we were too small. I wanted to say, no, you wasn't as good as Mikey. No, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You don't think that don't go on today? If you parents are not careful, you will let your kids know that you favor one over the other. Now, if you only got one, he needs to know he's favorite. I mean, come on. But one child doesn't need to be given more than the other child. One child doesn't need to be treated different than the other children because you're going to create resentment that it'll take God Almighty to pull it out. There's one thing my boys can do. They know their mama has made sure that every gift we give, it's an equal deal. Because we never had either one of our boys to think we love one more than the other. That is a no-no. Do you think Jesus loves anybody in here more than he loves anybody else? 
No. No. He don't love me more than he loves you. That son come home from the field. He heard partying going on. He said, what's going on around here? Man, your brother's come home. My brother? He was mad. He said, what's that scum doing back here? He said, your dad is throwing him a party, and he's killed the fatted calf. The fatted calf? The dad came out and tried to get him to come in. He said, dad, you have never in the whole time I've been here, you have never thrown me a party. And you killed the fatted calf. Why was he so mad about the fatted calf? I'll tell you what I believe. This is my personal opinion. It's not in the Bible. It's my personal opinion. Don't judge me on it. That was his fatted calf. He had to feed it every day. He had to take care of it. He had to go out and make sure it it was watered. And that scumbag brother who left here and lived and Imparted his money, parted his uh, money in his life, my, my, my dad's hard-earned money, and he lived like that. But let me tell you something. For you religionists, he was in worse shape spiritually than the son who parted his life away because he had a bad attitude. He was bitter. He was unforgiving. You see, real dads learn how to deal with resentment. And there's only one way. Other than prayer, there's only one way I know. And that is you shower them with love. The love of God. You can't judge them. Your hair's too long. Get that stinking earring out. What do you mean, toe tattooing your big toe? You are not going to win your child. With that kind of attitude. You're just not. You're going to drive that child further away from you. You win your children with love. I'm not talking about not standing for truth now. But you got to love them. Well, the third thing is when dealing, being a real dad, a super dad, when dealing with that, it involves it in dealing with a repented son. You see, the scriptures teach that this dad was every day he was up praying for his son. Every day as he worked, he was looking down the long road, just desiring his son to come home. The Bible says when he looked up and he saw him coming down the road, they had robes then, and he picked his robe up, and he made it ready for a run, a trot. He made it ready for a a marathon, and he took off running toward that son. When he got there, the Bible says that he reached around, and he grabbed his son. And his son said, please, just treat me as a servant. Treat me as a hired hand. And he said, where is the robe? Where is the rings? Where, he, he gave him all that he needed. And, and here, this son is so rebellious, but he had repented. And he told the rebellious son or the unrepented or, or resentful son, my son was lost, but now he has what? Been found. 
His daddy loved him, thought about him every day, prayed for him. You and I, dads that are here today, it ain't easy. It's not easy being a dad. It's not easy providing for your family. It's not easy that if something has changed in your life and now you're under a strain and you're in stress. But understand this. It would be better your kids learn that you cared about them and you wanted to spend time with them than bringing big, big old fat check home. Now, look, I'm not saying that that's not important. But that's not the most important. And your child needs to know that. And many of you in here are a product of a mom and dad who showed you they loved you. Now, some of you in here had maybe a, a rough upbringing, and it wasn't good for you. Maybe you were mistreated. Maybe things didn't go well in your upbringing. You know what? You don't have to repeat that. You don't have to be one to, to be a product of that. You can do right the opposite. I love my daddy, and I believe my dad's with Jesus, but my dad wouldn't, he never went fishing with me. My dad only went one hunt time, and in my life, hunting with me, that's because I asked him, and he didn't carry a gun. My dad was a workaholic, and when my dad died, I had to do something. Because my, within Mike Franklin, when I started Solid Rock, God, Jesus revealed in me that I was toting bitterness. And so I sat down and wrote my dad a letter. And I got all that out of my heart and my life. And then I, I wept as I wrote it. And then I took a match and I burned it as a symbol that this is dead in me. I never told my dad that. I never gave him the letter that had been dumb. My dad loved me. And he, he provided for me. Even though it wasn't a lot, it was still his heart and his work and his hard work. It kept us alive. I close with this story. This story comes from 1989 earthquake, which took place in a place called Armenia, and it was flattened. Over 30,000 people died in less than four minutes. In the midst of all the confusion, the story says that, and the, <clears throat> and the earthquake, a father rushed to the school of his son. That morning, he had had a discussion with his son, and he said to his son when they arrived, Son, I will always be there for you no matter what. Well, when he got to school after that earthquake that day, his son was gone. The whole school collapsed on all the kids. And there was no ch children around to be found. So he knew where the schoolroom was where his child was at. So he went in the back and he began to dig. He dug two hours, three hours, eight hours. And finally... The authorities came and said, man, you need to give it up and go on to the house. He said, no, I told my son that he could always count on me. And so I dug 16 hours, 24 hours, and in the 38th hour, he 
raised a boulder and hurt his son. Dad, is that you? Armin? Yes, it's me. He brought him out and he hugged him. And the son said, Dad, I kept telling all the other children, you made a promise to me, Dad, and you've always kept your promise that you'd always be there for me. And I told them, if my dad didn't die in this earthquake, he is going to come and rescue us. And dad, you kept your word. We always want to keep our word. And sometimes, as dads, we mess up. We just blow it. We make appointments we can't keep. But we need to be very careful of letting our kids and our wives know we love them. And we'll be there always. And they can count on us as men. While we may not have it all together, we ought to be able to be counted on by our families. Let's pray.